Give over get. This is one of our five values for Generations Church. We have, like I said, five values. And so just to recap, our values are spirit over self, give over get, progress over perfection, story over sin, and send over stay. And if you want to understand more fully what each of those values are, you can go on our website and you will be able to see kind of the tagline on the other side of those values. And if you notice, as I've said each and every week, as we look at those values, they're framed as a choice. Because as we go through the everyday things of life, we are going to be forced to choose something over something else. And our values as a church help us follow the way of Jesus. And in fact, they help us be the everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. Twice a week, I tutor uh, at Skyview High School uh, for a credit recovery class. And this kind of section, I've been teaching geometry and so I have to do a little prep work to, before I come in at least twice a week. And I get about an hour with these students. And there's always different types of students. And uh, the two of my most favorite types of students are the ones who actually want to, one who actually wants to learn the material and is really trying hard because they want to understand one geometry to get the good grade and all that stuff. My second favorite student is because I have a lot of, uh, let's say, similar spirit of saying, what... What is the minimum requirement? See, in, in this credit recovery class, most students in all their quizzes and all their grades, they just simply have to get that 70% to pass the quiz. And if they get enough 70%, they just simply pass the class and they'll be able to graduate on time because that's what these students are at risk of doing is not graduating on time. And so I get to sit with them. And it's always funny because as I get that, so what's the minimum requirement? They, they know the minimum requirement, but it's the type of student, the type of interaction to say, will you actually take the time to learn the material with me? And will we be able to go from there and understand it uh, and learn this geometry? And this, what is the minimum requirement question is at the heart of the lawyer's statement in our passage. He wants to know what is the minimum requirement that I have to do to get into eternity with God? And Jesus says, well, so you tell me. What is it? And the guy responds, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in this moment, Jesus says, yeah, that's right. And then the guy he wants to justify himself. He wants to prove his actions are valid. And we've all been there. When we make reasons or choices and saying, well, I, we try to justify our actions. And this guy wants to justify his actions. Because my guess is he knows the spirit of the law. He knows that love doesn't actually have limits. That love is selfless. That to love God with your whole being takes surrender, has no boundaries, but truly turning yourself over to him. And to truly love your neighbor as yourself, well, that looks very similar. 
And so to, in an attempt to draw some boundaries and to draw some defining lines, a way to define some distinctions, the guy throws out, so who is my neighbor? Enter Jesus telling a story. And Jesus tells an interesting and a fascinating story about a guy who travels down a very dangerous road. This road in particular was known for its violence. It's actually 17 miles that was very hazardous. And this guy, he goes in this path from Jericho to Jerusalem. And the reason down is because it's downhill, even though it's going north. Just a little extra information for those people who are trying to find it on a map and want to flip to the back of your Bible maybe and say, okay, wait, he's going north, but it's down. Just a little textual fun right there. Thieves come and they take advantage of him. This was a common thing for this mile stretch. This man is wounded and laying there and a series of people pass him by. The first, as we see, it's a priest. Someone who had the appearance of being right with God. Someone who actually mediated God to the people. So here in physical form was someone who was supposed to say, there is a connection between God and humanity and I'm going to be it. And what's he do? He moves to the other side of the road. And then a Levite, someone who was also set apart in the church community or in the Israelite community for them comes through and he moves to the other side of the road and then Jesus delivers a punchline of sorts and says there's this Samaritan and he comes and he cares for the man and takes him and cares for him. And we see that for the Samaritan to care for this man who's laying on the street beaten up. The question that we might be tempted to ask is what's the minimum requirement? How far should I go? Was it just enough to patch him up? Is it just enough to take him to the, to the inn? No, what we see here in the Samaritan is he goes above and beyond. It costs him time, costs him energy, and it costs him money to care for this man who he did not even know. And even more than that, he breaks some social norms. See, Samaritans and Jews did not like each other, and they argued about a lot of things, specifically about what the right place of worship was and is during that time frame. And so the idea of a good Samaritan was an oxymoron to a Jew. And when Jesus asked, so who did the right thing? Who demonstrated a love for God and a love for people? The lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say, the Samaritan. This person showed mercy when people who are supposed to show mercy just passed him by. And Jesus tells the man to go and do likewise. The point of this story is obvious. The lawyer wants to know if he can be a neighbor to a select elite few. And Jesus tells him through the Samaritan's example, let that neighbor be you. See, we're in a series about living generously. And this first part of living generously we're going to look at 
is relationships with others. And we face that same question that the students ask. What is the minimum requirement? We oftentimes want to draw lines and boundaries that separate ourselves from others. Surely we don't have to love. Surely we don't have to take our time, our energy, and our money to care for this person. In this passage, Jesus illustrates if that person laying on the ground was you, you don't care who it was. You just want someone to help. We come across people all the time in our days, and we don't know their stories. We don't know their backgrounds. We don't even know what got them in that situation. And so often times we can maybe even go like this Jewish audience who is listening and say, well, this guy deserves it. He knows that road is dangerous. He brought it on himself. And we dry, we draw lines of distinction that say there's a minimum requirement. And I don't know what that line is for you. Because in our world today, as whether it's through our actions, our habits, or even what we say on social media, we can oftentimes draw lines of distinction. That I am supposed to care for people, but there's a limit. What actually sets the limit is not our lines at all, but the law of God. And the lawyer answered this part correctly. What he missed was the law applied, really the spirit of the law, to love God with your total being and to love your neighbor, no matter who they are, what background they come from. Love them as yourself. But rather than worrying if someone else is to be a neighbor, Jesus' call is to be a neighbor to those who have need. And Jesus reverses the perspective of both the question and the answer. He makes the call no longer of one assessing other people, but of being a certain kind of person in one's activity. What that means is, as we see a priority of give over get, meet the innate character of one who is a give over get type of person. They can join in this parable. As you look at your life, what you have to determine is, are you the type of person who will choose give over get, looking to make a difference in the lives of others through living generously rather than always wanting to receive more? Or is it, is it not just choose it, is it also who you are? Does it spill out of you to where it doesn't matter who you pass on the road that you're going to be someone who stops? It's going to cost you time, money, energy. But the type of person who loves God with their total being and loves their neighbor as themselves. Puts give over get. And Jesus makes one additional point. By making the Samaritan the example, Jesus points out that neighbors may come in surprising places. And the lawyer's attempt to limit his neighbors may actually actually be limiting where his family might come from. Those who run people through a sieve or a filter or some sort of grid limit their capacity for meaningful friendships and limit 
their capacity for having a family from all different walks of life and background. And that's what I love about our church. We, we pray about it. We talk about it. It's having people who come from different walks of life, different stories. We look different. Some of us even talk different. We have different economic statuses, different perspectives, but we can gather in a place and call each other brother and sister and family and put our arms around each other and be for each other and care for one another. Not because we all look the same, think the same, act the same, but because we want to be a people who love God with their total being and want to love our neighbor as ourselves, And we want to see that family expanded. And if you are someone who feels like you are on the outside, we want to invite you to be part of our family. You are welcome and you are loved and you don't have to be alone. And if you feel like you're someone who's laying on the side of the road, who's been beat up, who's been left for dead, would you let us care for you this morning? At the end of our, our teaching time, John's going to facilitate, facilitate a time of response. If you need someone to pray for you or to care for you, if you don't even quite feel like you have the words to express your need, that's the perfect time. I'll be somewhere around this room. I would love to pray and care for you because you are not alone. We are one family coming together. And if you trembling and feel like you can't move, that's why we provide those connection cards. Express your need on those. Growing up, Jimmy developed a reputation for being emotionally distant. This posture helped protect him from all the emotional shrapnel that he was exposed to in his home life. Everyone else might be quick to fly off the handle, but not Jimmy. He'd be rational to a fault. But after years on his own, Jimmy changed. He began to see the value of acknowledging and sharing his emotions and doing so with friends and colleagues, he, he added to the richness of his life. He wanted to reveal this change to his family, but was afraid. The patterns of who he was with them were deeply etched, and though far from perfect, were comfortable and predictable. His detachment had costs, but they were familiar costs. He discussed his fears with a friend who asked Jimmy some hard questions. What are you really afraid of, Jimmy? How does following Jesus address your fears, Jimmy? Jimmy's first response was that he was acting out of obligation to his family. Someone in my family has to be the rational one. Otherwise, it would just be chaos. The way things are now, everything more or less works. But Jimmy's friend probed further. And Jimmy began to reflect Eventually, he discovered that the fear at some level that he knew that was present all along was the question, what if they reject me? What if they laugh? What if they think, what's gotten into him? Jimmy knew he'd been in for, be in for a serious identity shakeup if his parents responded badly. And he wasn't sure he wanted to risk it. Jimmy's increased awareness of his identity concerns wasn't the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. His friend persisted with scriptural reminders about his identity 
in Jesus. Part of the family, a friend in Christ, a co-heir with Christ, the recipient of an eternal inheritance. So Jimmy determined he would show greater emotion around his family. And at first, it was not going smooth. There were awkward moments. And some members of his family wondered why he was acting differently. But Jimmy persisted because of a friend who encouraged him to give over get. And in the time, a more genuine set of relationships replaced old ones. When we look to the heart of the matter and we deal with drawing boundary lines, not just in relationships with other people, but with our own emotions and our unwillingness to share, we limit ourselves for friendships. We limit ourselves to find family. And image management can cripple our ability to live generously. For Jimmy, his inability at first to express what he was learning in his relationship with Jesus drew boundary lines that prevented him from sharing who Jesus was with his family. When we always look to get out of our relationships, when we try to protect ourselves, we ultimately withhold a portion of ourselves and never experience a growth. In Jimmy's case, his call to give was through sharing and actually willing to be a different person, someone who Christ was calling him to be. In the example of the Samaritan, we see the personal, compassionate meeting basic of needs. It's not the mere throwing money at the problem in hopes that it will fix itself. The Samaritan not only provides resources, but personally undertakes to make sure that others who become part of the process are aware that he wants the victim to be brought back to help. It takes eyes and ears to be a neighbor and a compassionate heart. And it takes a willingness to be vulnerable. I don't think oftentimes we see people necessarily writhing in pain on the side of the road. Bleeding out or discouraged, but I do think what holds us back is a fear, is a level of question where we are afraid to embrace the natural awkward, awkwardness. Can't even say the word right. That awkwardness to initiate something new with something else for the sake of Jesus. For the sake of who God is calling us to be. And we're unwilling to give of ourselves because we like the familiar patterns that are etched into our brain and into the patterns of our life. They're comfortable. They're safe. And we know them. And sometimes we think that there is so much suffering in the world that we don't even make, we may not even know where to start. And sometimes such thinking can become an excuse for inaction. I don't really know how to help that person. This person shared with me, or I stopped and I started a conversation. And they started sharing, and I wasn't, not, and I wasn't sure what to do with it. I think that's the first place to begin. Is an acknowledgement that we don't know at all. That we don't always have all the answers. But that we are better together. And that there is someone else likely in our church family who may be able 
to help or deal or cope or coach through that interaction that we can reach out to that the, the posture of give over get is not one of individual and isolation of you have to solve every problem and make it happen but it's one where we go through it collectively together as a team better as a family so you don't have to fear being overwhelmed you don't have to fear being rejected to maybe trying something new as you begin your followership of Jesus and begin to put one foot in front of another. Because you have a family here who wants to encourage. And so maybe you fall in the camp of distracting yourself, filling up your time so that we can have justification to limit our relational connection with others. What's interesting is I hear you heard when John read is I tied two passages together. The Good Samaritan and then Mary and Martha. And you may be wondering, those are two different incidents. Why are they related at all? Well, as Jesus tells this story, we start to see the story continues in a new location. And what we see in Mary and Martha's experience is a new set of relational connection. We see two sisters who have come into contact with Jesus. And are they going to take the time to actually connect with Jesus so that the relationships can be altered? And the reason I've tied these two passages together, and they're actually tied together in the scriptures, and Luke, as he narrates through this, it's this Good Samaritan passage and actually this Mary and Martha passage. And then he capstones kind of this segment, this section of Scripture with a common theme of prayer. So homework this week, go read the beginning of Luke chapter 11. And you'll see what this, how this theme is capstoned with the idea of asking, searching, and knocking. Because here's the thing is when we seek Jesus... And we begin to be transformed by his presence. We all too often can fall into the patterns of Martha. Where we distract ourselves. Where we get caught up in busyness. Simply so that we can have the justification of not either sitting at the feet of Jesus and being transformed. Or actually helping others. See, I, I think that what we see here in the passage is that at, through our relationship with God, we see how we relate to neighbors, how we engage in our dialogue with God. There's that prayer section. And also in how we view one another and our time with the Lord. See, Martha's consumption with assessing others as she performs what she is called to do. And Mary's wisdom is in seeking some time at the feet of Jesus. What Martha ultimately gets wrong is that she evaluates and assesses Mary's priorities. And both qualities, one negative and one positive, are at the heart of following Jesus. A community suffocates when all its energy is spent on assessing one another while distracting oneself from true relationship. And generous living chooses grace in our relationships. See, Martha, she complains to Jesus. 
tell my sister to help me. And she says, no, Mary has chosen what is right. Out of all the options that she could be doing, out of, out of all the things that she could do, very cultural, to preparing a house for people to be right. It starts with time with Jesus. So that out of the time with Jesus, you can accurately give. And Martha, she assesses Mary and determines, well, she has made the wrong choice. And so there is a lack of grace present. We see in Mary a call and a desire to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And see, we can't do the love your neighbor piece by our own energy, by our own wisdom, by our own strength. It has to come from our connection to Jesus. See, the question that our stu- my students ask is what's the minimum requirement? It's a mindset that can get etched into our habits, into our rhythms, so that we distract ourselves from genuine relationships so that we never truly give. We only look at what we get. So how do we move past the what's the minimum requirement mindset? In order to live a give-over-get lifestyle in our relationships, it takes margin. Margin, not margarine, margin. Maybe a little margarine would help grease the wheels a little bit. Margin is the space between our load and our limits. Planning for margin means planning for the unplannable. It means we understand what's possible for us as finite creatures, and we schedule for less than that. And this is why Jesus approves of Mary's posture. There's some margin. She doesn't feel the social pressure. I think of the priest and the Levite. What was likely in their head is not just that here's an unclean man on the side of the road and I need to distance myself from him, but likely also is I have responsibilities. I have to get from point A to point B. And I, I, I cannot let this guy get in the way. I cannot be inconvenienced. And when we don't have margin in our life, we actually go uninterrupted. But maybe God's plan. Do we have schedules? Do we have the priorities in our life that we can be interrupted by God? And when you build some margin into your schedule, an interruption won't be an inconvenience because of who you are as a follower of Jesus, looking to give over get. And because you know in those moments when you don't feel like giving, when you don't feel like choosing that generosity option, your priority will be there. Because you know you've got a life that has a time that can be reflected in that way. So your busyness limits your ability to be present with God. And busyness is crippling your ability to be a good neighbor. I think there's a second point that we need to address 
and the what's the minimum requirement mindset. It takes separating choices from identity. See, when we make choices or fail to make certain choices or we run it through our grid, what often prevents us, like Jimmy, from initially being vulnerable, from initially living out, give over, get in our relationships, is three questions usually come to mind. And they're not necessarily specific, these are the three questions, but these are the heart level questions that we wrestle with when we're faced with this choice. The first question is this, am I competent? If I make this choice, will people second guess my ability? Second question is, am I a good person? How will others see me? The third question is, am I worthy of love? All three of those questions, am I competent? Am I a good person? Am I worthy of love? Are all questions rooted in our identity, who we see ourselves as, and who we are. And what we have to do is separate the choice to give over, get from internalizing it as our identity. We have to get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes on Jesus. Because far too many of us don't expect to struggle. We want it comfortable. We want it convenient. And we're like our busyness because it's knowable. It's ease. And even though we talk when we talk with other people, how is your life? And we say it is busy or it is full. It's at least knowable. And a willingness to build in margin and separating choice from identity is an ability to create some distance between the choice and our identity. Because we will suffer if we're committed to people. It costs the Samaritan. But we will ultimately move from distracted living to directed living. When we choose give over get. And we separate choices from identity. And we actually flip them. And we say our choices don't necessarily make us who we are. God says who we are. And we live out of that reality. And this is what Mary gets so right. Is who she is is defined by her relationship with Jesus. And out of that choice of being in connection with Jesus... We're able to then choose what is accurate and good and ultimately be a good neighbor. Kevin DeYoung in his book, Crazy Busy, sums up these two parallel ideas this way. And he talks about time with Jesus. He says, starting each day with eternity makes our petty problems and long to-do lists seem less significant. By sitting at the feet of Jesus, we will grow more like him, more patient, more loving, more thoughtful, and we'll see that our screen does not satisfy as our Savior. We'll see that wisdom was not born yesterday, and 34 seconds ago on social media, there wasn't wisdom. But we'll learn 
to keep our complaints to a minimum and our eyes on the cross and will become more helpful to those around us. See, when we get our eyes on Jesus, we actually become more helpful to those around us. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan because he wants us to get our eyes off of ourselves and our eyes on others. And ultimately, when we get our eyes off the letter of the law and the minimum requirement, we'll start to actually live the law the way the law was intended to live. That's loving God with our total being, loving our neighbor as ourself, and we're able to be more present and more purposeful in our relationships. So may we separate our choices from our identity. May we create some margin in our life so that we can give over get because of Jesus. Because he gave so that we, we get. He gave it all. He paid the price for us. That's why we got to keep our eyes on the cross. That he sacrificed himself for us. And that enables us. And that motivates us to give over get in our relationships. So may we not be a people who draws boundary lines, who draws distinctions, who looks for the minimum requirement. But we actually live to give because Jesus gave. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that we be a people who exercise generosity in our relationships. Whether that's vulnerability, whether that's time and cost, whether that's care. Maybe it's a heart of compassion that we just have not seen other people with. Would you cultivate that in us? Would Generations Church, God, would you make us be into a church that chooses give over again in every aspect of our life, but specifically in our relationships throughout the week? Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.